summer is awesome, isn't it? Hey, good morning. How are you, Compass Church? Are you good today? Really? That was kind of underwhelming, huh? Are you good? Really? Yeah. Hey, uh, it's an honor to be with you, and uh, I love this church, and it was great to be here a couple years ago, and it's always fun to be invited to churches that you love and respect, but it's really fun to be invited back to churches that you love and respect, and You know, a couple years ago when I was here, you were all praying about having a new pastor. And when I heard that Jeff Griffin was coming to Compass Church, I have known and respected Jeff for quite a number of years. And I thought, oh man, that is going to be a marriage made in heaven. A great pastor, a great church equals a great future. And you do have one of the great pastors in America. You know that? God's blessed you with a great, great pastor. And uh, I'm thankful for the privilege to be here today. And uh, if you ever get out to Orange County, California, come see it at Seaside Church. We're in Anaheim, California, home of the Ducks, home of the Angels, home of Mickey Mouse, and the most expensive, I mean, happiest place on earth. You can come and uh, visit us. And if you've never heard me speak before, you're probably like wondering right now, uh, Gene, is that your real voice? Do you, do you, <laughs> I knew you were out there. Do you, do you really sound that way? And, uh, you know, I told your audio team I'd give them 100 bucks if they could make me sound like Barry White this weekend. You know, kind of, Jesus loves your baby. Something like that. Uh, but instead, when God was giving out voices, I've got one that sounds like I've been inhaling helium for four days. So that's what you got this weekend. Hey, to get started, let me ask you a question. Do you remember your first broken heart? Some of you. I was a freshman in high school. Her name was Lynette Cotts. I still haven't forgiven her. Our eyes met and the love bug bit during marching band practice. I I marched a little higher and a little faster when I saw Lynette. And we'd been an item for a few weeks when uh, she was selected as freshman class attendant of our homecoming activities. And I thought, life doesn't get any better than this. Lynette Cotts, freshman class attendant, my girl. And then she dumped me to go to the homecoming dance with the quarterback of the varsity football team. Oh man, I was devastated. And uh, you know, they call that puppy love, but it was real to this puppy. And uh, of course, we all, you all know what puppy love eventually leads to, right? A dog's life. And uh, well, that was my first broken heart. And a broken heart is unreturned love. It, it's a relationship where you risk and you were burned. You trusted, and you were betrayed. Love given, love not returned. Max Lucado writes about walking through a cemetery one time, and he came upon a grave, and it just had a woman's name on it, no date of birth, no date of death, just the names of her two husbands, and this sad epitaph. It said, sleeps, but sleeps not. Loved, but was loved not. Tried to please, but pleased not. Died as she lived, alone. Just think of those words, loved, but was loved not. And think about the long nights and the empty bed and the messages left and no response in return. Love given, love not returned and given back. 
You know, one of the things after over three decades as a pastor I've come to understand is, is that everybody's hurting. Everybody's broken in some way in their life. Everybody's wounded. Some of you, the wound is a relational wound. It's an emotional wound. Could go back many years. It may be from your childhood, a painful childhood memory that keeps roadblocking your future. Maybe it's a divorce of parents you don't understand, you've never understood. Maybe it's abuse that came in your life verbally, physically, maybe in some unspeakable sexual ways. For some of you, it's a spiritual wound. It's, a, it's, it's some messiness from your past. It's a mistake. It's a failure in your past. And, and no matter how many times you've confessed it to God, you can't forgive yourself. When you're going through a time of woundedness, whether it's an emotional wound, relational wound, physical wound, spiritual wound, you wonder in those times, can God be greater than my woundedness? Can God be greater than my hurt? Can God heal? For years, I've had a plaque in my office at home. It was made in the late 80s by a, by a widow who was 81 years old for me. And she took some dried flowers and some dried leaves and mounted them in a little frame. And, and with her arthritic hand, she wrote in calligraphy the words, God will make a way. And she framed it and gave it to me. And to be honest with you, at the time that she gave it to me, I wondered if God could make a way in my life. I wonder if God could be a healer in my life. My wife and I had been married for about a year when we moved to Las Vegas to become uh, the senior pastor of Central Christian Church there. I was 25 years old. I could barely shave. And, uh, you know, he wondered what church in Las Vegas is going to be like, you know, are they going to have an Elvis impersonator doing the prelude, you know, or are they going to have girls in bikinis announcing hymn numbers, you know, kind of the, uh, <laughs> they have tithe machines in the lobby, you know, well, what is that going to be like? And, and we were about four years into that adventure when we uh, built a new building that tripled the size of our facilities. And I know there's things more important than church buildings, but you know, buildings God can use as a tool. And I, I knew we needed this building and we were reaching lots of people. And, and uh, we had the dedication one night, I'll never forget it. It was a big celebration. And, and uh, I remember the chairman of our church board got up, said some very kind things about my leadership, and the congregation stood and gave me a sustained standing ovation. And, and I'd like to say that that didn't give me a big head or anything, but that wouldn't be true. You know, secretly I was patting myself on the back, feeling uh, real good about things. And, and I went home that night just certain we were going to sail into a new era of ministry, and this was going to be a mountaintop experience. And, and uh, I went in a matter of a few hours from that mountain to the lowest valley of my life, when my wife informed me that night that she was in love and involved with another man and that she was leaving in the morning. And she did. And despite relentless attempts at reconciliation, she never returned. And she married the guy. And I thought I had lost everything. And I really wondered if God could be greater than my hurt. I wondered if the God who made the world could really bring healing into my world. Could God be greater than? 
Friends, after all these years later, I stand before you today as one who knows firsthand we have a God who heals. We have a God who is greater than our hearts. We have a God who takes wounded, afflicted, pain-carrying people like you and me and does a new work. The Bible says in Psalm 34, 18, one of my favorite verses, that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Peter said of Jesus in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, he said, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And by his wounds, the scripture says, you have been, what's the word say it? Healed. In the Old Testament, God is frequently referred to the name as Jehovah Rapha. The name Jehovah Rapha means the God who heals, Jehovah the healer. Now, I know most of you, you don't know me. But I'm a stage in my life, in my marriage and family right, life right now that is so personally joyful and thrilling and fulfilling. And I can stand here today, you know, over two and a half decades after going through all that pain that I went through, and I can tell you God is a healer. Four years later, I went through all that. God brought the most wonderful, beautiful woman into my life named Barbara, and uh, we've had quite a ride. We were faced with a dilemma when we got married, is when you're the pastor of a large church, who do you invite to your wedding? And it seemed like, you know, it was, it was like one of two choices. Either you invite nobody And, uh, you know, so you don't offend anybody or you invite everybody. And if we invited everybody, that was going to be the first wedding in history that we had to have multiple services. And so we didn't know what to do because it felt like, well, we got to share this with this church who's walked with me through this valley. And so in those days, we had a large Wednesday night service and we just decided, well, let's get married at the Wednesday night service. And we just won't tell anybody that they're coming to our wedding. Who's ever there gets to be there, you know, those kinds of things. So we did Wednesday night. We had our worship time and we had some baptisms that night. And then one of my best friends, he's been a guest speaker here before. His name's Mike Bro. Mike Bro got up to do the teaching, and Mike said, I know I'm supposed to teach right now. He said, but instead I have two major announcements. He said, number one, Gene Apple and Barbara Cowan are engaged. And everybody clapped. They, oh, that's wonderful. Our poor pastor's been so pitiful around here the last few years. <laughs> We're so happy for him. And he said, the second major announcement is, you're at their wedding. They didn't clap. They were like gasping, you know, and I think they thought he was joking until family members who had flown in from around the country walked in from both sides of the room, sat down in the front row of the church, and we had a wedding at church that night. And I told people, the moral of the story is you never want to miss a midweek service because you don't know what might happen. (laughs) I had people saying, oh, I can't believe it. That's the only one I've ever missed. I was like, yeah, right, you know. (laughs) Well, shortly thereafter, I had the privilege of adopting Barbara's 11-year-old son, Jeremy, as my son, and we've had two daughters. This past January, we celebrated 22 years of marriage, and this is our family picture at our son's wedding last summer right here in Chicago. That's Jeremy and his beautiful wife and our daughters and my wife, Barbara. Is God good or what? Have I been blessed or what? Uh, Just amazing. So at a personal level, things are so good and so healthy right now in our lives that it's hard for me sometimes to remember how challenging it was at one point. One of the things about God's amazing grace is that sometimes he gives us a graceful sense of forgetfulness about how painful things were at one time. But if I could today, I would like to share with you some of the things that I learned through going through that season of life with the prayer that if you're going through a time of 
betrayal, hurt, affliction, pain, woundedness, or you know someone who is, or one of your friends, or one of your family members, that this will be helpful to you. Here's the first thing that I learned, is don't pull out of life. Don't pull out of life. Naturally, none of us wants to be hurt, and so when we hurt, our natural instinct is is to withdraw into a shell, and we think, well, if that's what love is, I'm not going to put myself out there again, because I don't want to risk to be hurt like that again. Love by its very nature involves a risk, but not to love involves even more risk. I'm embarrassed to admit this, but when my whole world fell apart, I had to come to the startling realization, I mean, I came to grips with the fact that for many years as a man, as a pastor, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I had withdrawn so much that I was like a solo sapien. I didn't let anybody get close to me. I didn't have close intimate. Now, I had a lot of people say, oh, yeah, I'm a friend of Gene. I had a lot of family, a lot of friends, a lot of church family said, oh, yeah, I'm good friends with Gene. But I had to come to the startling realization that people who knew me intimately, zero. And my guess is that's true for a lot of guys among us right now. We just don't take off the mask. And we don't let people really know what is going on in our life. And so when I was going through this season of pain, I withdrew even more for a while. And I pulled away from relationships. And, and shortly thereafter, I received this letter from a friend of mine, a follower of Jesus, that was a turning point in cracking me open to the possibility of moving into some community. And here's what he wrote. He wrote, Dear Gino, that's what a lot of my friends call me. He said, I cannot tell you how much I feel for you at this time. And I wish there were words to describe my sorrow. We are praying daily and thinking about you constantly. You are a dear friend and a constant source of Christian uplift in our lives. I realize at a time like this, time to be by yourself and the Lord is most important, but I don't want you to forget my lines are open for you. I wish at a time like this I could just give you a hug and take over all the pain you're feeling in your heart, but since this is not possible, I would like to share the load with you. For a friend to share the load, this means to be there any time of day or night. I'm here for you, pal. I hope you will turn to me for anything you want. Our home is wide open for you. Our hearts are open for you. You are like a brother to me, and I love you. When you're good and ready, please contact me any time of day or night. It doesn't matter. We won't stop praying for you or thinking about you. Well, I took the risk, and I made contact. And I decided I wasn't going to withdraw. I wasn't going to be a solo sapien anymore. Friends, I've made my share of bad decisions in my life. That was one of the best single decisions that I've ever made in my life. I started meeting with him and three other guys for breakfast every Thursday morning. We met at a, at a coffee shop in a Las Vegas casino. And uh, get this, we could get two eggs, hash browns, toast, sausage or bacon, and coffee for 99 cents apiece. We were always fighting over the check. I'll buy today. No, I'll buy. It was five bucks for all five of us, you know. It's like, who cares? And we kind of started doing life together. And we started opening up our souls to each other. And in that circle, I found complete acceptance, uncommon wisdom, total confidentiality. And for that, I'm forever grateful. Friends, this is why groups are so important in the life of your church. We all need that. 
And over the years, God has brought different groups of people in different eras of my life. My relational world has become so much deeper and richer than it once was. And I have deeper, more honest relationships today I've ever had in my life. It took brokenness to open me up toward that. Let me tell you something else I learned, actually something Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, helped me do that I know I never could have done in my own strength. Disinfect the wound. Disinfect the wound. You know, when we've been hurt, when we've been wounded by somebody, what's our natural response? We want to hurt back. We want to strike. You hurt me, I'll hurt you. And when you hold on to hurt, that develops into the kind of internal disease of bitterness and resentment and hatred. You say, well, Gene, how do you do that? How do you disinfect the wound? You practice forgiveness. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32, it says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. You forgive. When my first marriage fell apart, one of the issues that I really had to come to grips with was my resentment, my bitterness, and my hatred toward the other man. He was a friend of mine. We played tennis together every week. He was a part of our church. What kind of guy moves in on another guy's wife, a friend's wife? Do you know what I wanted to do to him? One of the things I wanted to do, this is how dark I am, I wanted to take a baseball bat and I wanted to plant it right here in his front teeth. He had cap teeth and I wanted to take them all out. And, uh, but that, that's just one of the kinder things that I wanted to do. Actually, I'm afraid to tell you some of the other things for fear that uh, I might be arrested or something like that. But. So I'm dealing with all this toxicity inside of me and then one morning in my quiet time, I'm reading from Proverbs 25. And I read a verse that says, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If your enemy is thirsty, give him water to drink. And it was like the Holy Spirit was just convicting me in that morning moment of saying, Gene, you got to take some positive action toward your enemy here. Give him water to drink. He's got a thirsty soul. And so I sat down that day and I wrote him a letter. And I forgave him. And honestly, that's one of the hardest things that I've ever done in my life. Before you think, you know, well, that's some big magnanimous thing that you did, Gene, there. Uh, man, there's been a thousand other times in my life when I haven't done the magnanimous thing. Let, let me tell you there. But I sent him a book that day, and this was my attempt to try to give him water to drink. It's a book that had been meaningful in my own life. And I wrote inside the jacket of the book, I said, it's my prayer that an authentic Christian faith will be the mark of your life, and in return, that it will mark others. And for the next couple of years, I prayed for him regularly. You say, Gene, did it bring any change in his life? Honestly, I don't know. But here's what I do know. Here's the really wonderful thing, is the fantastic change that it brought in my life 
and it freed me of all that resentment and all that junk and all that toxic waste that builds up inside of us when we are holding on to resentment. I'm free from that. Friends, take it from someone who knows firsthand. When you hold on to hurt, it will turn into hate, and that hate will be destructive to all your other relationships. But if we'll forgive, if we'll love our enemies internally, we'll find freedom and we'll find joy again. Disinfect the wound. Here's a third lesson. Allow God to work in you during this time. You know, brokenness tends to be one of the greatest schools of higher education that we ever attend. We learn things in times of pain that we wouldn't learn in any other way. It was only through personal brokenness that I learned when you lose everything that you have. And I thought I had lost everything that I had. I didn't know how God was going to work in this pastor's life. That when you still have Jesus Christ, he's enough. I've never forgotten that. Anytime time gets tough, oh, I know what it's like to feel like you've lost everything. And I had Jesus, and that's enough. I learned that the, um, there's an importance of truth-telling in relationships. I'm a bottler. I'm a one who doesn't like to, you know, face the things. And I've learned you've got to tell the truth, even when you have to face dark things in yourself or about the relationship. I learned the importance of balance in my life. I think one of the greatest things God taught me through that season of my life was to have a new empathy for people who are hurting, for people who are walking through pain. I'll never forget my first Christmas alone again. We'd had our Christmas Eve services at our church in Las Vegas, and my intent was after the service was over, going to go grab something to eat at a drive-thru, go home, do some laundry pack. And I was catching a flight on Christmas morning back to Illinois to spend uh, Christmas Day with 20 members of my family. I grew up downstate in Lincoln, Illinois. And so I got away from the church. I think our last service was over about 9.30 that night. And I hadn't eaten since the middle of the day. And I was hungry. And so I run down the street to a little chicken drive through place. And it was closed. Uh, no problem. I'll go next door. There was Del Taco next door. I go to Del Taco. Del Taco was closed. Oh, well, what am I going to do? I'll drive a little further. I'll go to Jack in the Box. I was really getting desperate. And uh, Jack in the Box was closed. And I thought, I don't have anything to eat at my house. What am I going to eat? And so I thought, well, I'll go to my supermarket. My supermarket's open 24 hours a day. So I go to my supermarket. My supermarket was closed. I'd never seen Las Vegas, the city that never sleeps so quiet. And now I'm starting to get depressed. I'm starting to have a pity party, feeling sorry for myself, you know, thinking about all the families having their nice little gatherings around their Christmas tree and poor me driving around Las Vegas, you know, all alone on Christmas Eve. But I was determined to find something to eat. So I drove out to the east edge of town where there's a country western themed casino called Sam's Town. And to my surprise, when I pulled up, the place was hopping parking lot was jamming, you know, and I go inside the casino and, and uh, walk through, and there's people playing the table games and slot machines and video poker machines, and I went up to the second story to a 50-style diner, sat down at a table for four all by myself, and ordered the blue plate special. And it was like a bad dream, I'm telling you. I remember thinking to myself, I just spoke for thousands of people, and here I am at Sam's Town on Christmas Eve eating meatloaf and mashed potatoes and gravy alone. And just when I thought it couldn't get any worse, somebody put a quarter in the jukebox and Elvis started singing in my ear, Are you lonesome tonight? <laughs> Absolutely true. And your sympathy is so meaningful to me. I just, <laughs> thank you. 
And uh, actually, I started laughing, probably to keep from crying. And the thought that just overwhelmed me was, Gene, here you are, one of the most blessed guys in the world. You got a church family that has stood with you through thick and thin. You got more close friends than should be legally allowed to have. You're flying home in the morning to spend Christmas Day with 20 members of your family. And if you of all people can be lonely tonight, imagine how difficult this night is for those who don't have anybody. And as I walked out of the casino that night, I'm telling you, it was like the Holy Spirit just sent a dart right into my soul. And the thought that just overwhelmed me was, they don't have anywhere else to go tonight either. Why else would they be here on Christmas Eve? Friends, I don't know that I would have learned that in any other way without brokenness. I hope it's made me into a different kind of pastor. People are hurting. Now one last lesson I learned when you're going through a season of brokenness is that you need to allow God to work through you. Not just in you, but through you. I think some of us have the sense that when we're going through pain or brokenness that God just puts us on the shelf and he can't do anything with us. But friends, often when we're weak, when we're broken, when we're crushed, that's when God is able to do his greatest work in us because people know when they see it, that's God because they can't be doing that in and of themselves. I remember there was about a two-year period after I went through all of that where it took everything within me just to be able to stand up in environments like this and be able to have something to teach or share from God's Word of what was going on. You know, and, and it took everything within me, and I felt so weak. But I discovered God used me in spite of my weaknesses. And here's what I learned. If God can energize my spiritual gifts when I'm weak, then he's really the one who energizes my spiritual gifts when I'm kind of self-deceived and I think I'm strong, you know, and I can do this in my own strength. I learned what the Apostle Paul meant when he talked about his own experience of crisis, you know, being crushed, you know, three times, taking it to God, asking God to remove this thorn in the flesh from him. And God came back with this response in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you, Paul, because my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul talks in 2 Corinthians 1 about comforting others with the comfort we ourselves have received and i just made up my mind that i've got to spend the rest of my life extending to other people the comfort that i have received from the god who heals because i know friends i know it is only by the amazing grace of god that i am standing here all these years later sometimes god leverages my marriage failure to help other people because people know when I talk about betrayal. People know when I talk about broken vows. People know when I talk about forgiving those who've hurt you that I've had to live every word of it. Because when you're in need of healing in any other area of your life, who's the best person to help you? Somebody who's been there, right? Somebody who's walked in your shoes. Somebody who can empathize with you. It's the way Jehovah Rapha continues his healing work, not just in you, but through you. So nearly 26 years ago, I find myself in a situation where I really wondered if God was greater than my hurt. 
And there were moments I felt there was no, no hope, moments of loneliness and isolation and regret that were so intense. I felt like my life was ruined. I felt like God would never use me again. And most of all, God would never even want me a divorced pastor. And it was hard to see any way out. It was hard to see any light at the end of the tunnel. And then one day somebody gave me a worship tape. Anybody old enough to remember cassette tapes in the room? Yeah, five of us. And uh, somebody gave me a cassette tape, and there was a song on that tape that I listened to, I bet, over and over a thousand times. I think the tape was stretching out, you know, and getting garbled because I listened to it so many times. But the song just simply said this, God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. He will be my guide. Hold me closely to his side with love and strength for each new day. He will make a way. God will make a way. And you know what? He did. In his time and in his way, he made a way for me. And that song, God Will Make a Way, kind of became my theme song. And Anybody who knew me knew that that was kind of my song. That was kind of a song that I was hanging on to. And so an 81-year-old widow with an arthritic hand makes a plaque that just says, God will make a way. And it might not mean anything to you. It means everything to me. You know, over and over again, the Bible talks about how God is greater than. And before I close, I want to read a series of Scripture that talks about God being greater than. And every time I read the phrase uh, greater than from some of these Scriptures, I'm going to make the motion, you know, that greater than motion. And when I make the greater than motion, would you just say the words greater than? Okay? You got that? Let's just practice that, okay? Okay, now, we're going to talk about God here, okay? So remember, when we say greater than, we're talking about God. Let's try it again. Awesome. So let's try this. 1 John 3.20 says, For God is our hearts, and he knows everything. John 10.27, Jesus said, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. My Father who has given them to me is all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hands. Psalm 135.5, I know that the Lord is great, that our Lord is all gods. 1 John 4, 4, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is the one who is in the world. Job 33, 12, for God is any human being. Isaiah 29, 16, how stupid can you be? He is the potter and he is certainly you. You are only the jars he makes. Mark 1, 7, John the Baptist announces someone is coming soon who is far I am so much greater that I am not even worthy to be a slave. John 3.31, John the Baptist says of Jesus, He has come from above and is anyone else. I am of the earth and my understanding is limited to the things of the earth, but He has come from heaven. Hebrews 1.4, this shows that God's Son is far the angel, just as the name God gave Him is far their names. Friends, when the Bible says that God is greater than, how great is our God? He is our past, he is our mistakes, he is our hurts, he is our disappointments, he is the angels, he is all other gods. 
Our God is simply great. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for being great. I want to thank you for being great in my life over and over again and for the greatness you have shown so many people in this room who could stand up here today and share a similar story of how faithful you have been to them and in their lives. And God, now I pray for those who need you to be great right now, who need you to be close. I thank you that you are close to the brokenhearted. You save those who are crushed in spirit. Bring healing as only you can, and we lift our prayers in the name of the one who is greatest of all, your son, Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen.